On today's episode of Tapcalf Transmissions, Corey and I take a look at The Princess and the Scoundrel. Does this novel manage to elevate beyond simply being a soulless corporate tie-in to a new Disneyland park? We'll discuss that and more today. Next week, we return to the Yuzhan Vong War, but for now, let's roll the intro. Welcome to Tapcalf Transmissions, the weekly Star Wars podcast that talks about everything from Star Wars to Star Wars to the Red Green Show. I am Corey. Joining me as always is Justin, Mr. Eckhart's Ladder. How are you doing tonight? Good, good. We just had a great conversation about the clothes we like to wear. Um, so That's if for you are, live stream only. Yeah, if you're listening on uh, on whatever audio platform, and you want to hear more about the clothes, consider checking out Corey's YouTube channel, Corey's Datapad. And if you're watching live and you want to hear less of that, then check out uh, one of our many uh, hosted please, platforms. Please don't, please don't, don't do that. Datapad needs views. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't care. It's, it's whatever for me. <laughs> Nothing like posting a video and going down 15 subs by the next day. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been bad for Star Wars on YouTube recently. Um I just like it's been nice because I just post and then I, I just don't care. I'm just like whatever. Um, okay, Mister Eight Hundred Thousand Subs, Nine Twenty Six. Thank you. Look, I, I get to have the milestone of thirty six thousand twice in a row, so you know it, it's it's great. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, All do right. you want to what what are we talking about today, Mister Mister Loses? So the topic for today's episode is The Princess and the Scoundrel, the new book by Beth Revis, I think is how you pronounce her last name. Yeah, that's uh, correct. I'd been calling her Revis before, so that was incorrect. Uh, we are talking about Han and Leia's canon wedding and honeymoon, not mm -hmm. one of her seven Legends weddings, or Leia and Han, not just Leia's wedding. Two people got married. So it is a tie-in, technically, to the Galactic Star Cruiser, hotel experience thing so we'll be talking a bit about that we'll be talking about the book itself how it compares to some of those other legend storylines as well i'm sure uh but before we do that any big news you want to talk about on the star wars mm. side of things there is one topic at least but just trying to think um we're we're, we're approaching andor which is exciting uh i but there's the ryan johnson thing which I, I don't i don't really want to get into um Anything in particular for you, though? What was the one thing you were referring to? So I think it's probably worth us touching a little bit on uh, on the Quantic Dream buyout. Uh, yes. Because that was bought by uh, the company that did, what, Diablo Immortal? And yeah. that's not great. NetEase. But I was, there, I was never under the impression that Eclipse was actually going to come out for the last few months anyways, so... I don't know that there can really be bad news for Star Wars Eclipse at this point. Yeah. Okay. And I also want to get your opinion on something. Your genuine okay. opinion. Don't just don't just agree with me because I'm taking this as a learning moment. When I posted, and this is a serious topic. I'm not I'm not joking. When I posted my short, I said my title was like 
was Star Wars a cl- developer purchased by shitty Chinese company. And there were a bunch of people in the in the comments who said, you should, like, why do you mention Chinese company? Like, that's racist. And, like, I do kind of see where they're coming from, but is the fact that, like, given how Chinese companies are so close to the Chinese government, isn't that worth mentioning? And, like, they've actively censored NetEase products in the past? So I, I think know it's, it's a heavy topic, but... I think it's definitely worth mentioning in the video. It's very relevant to what's actually mm-hmm. going on with there, like, the same way that uh riot being bought by tencent tencent being yeah. in many ways like a like lot an arm of, those, of the government yeah so it's definitely yeah. worth bringing up but i do think that sometimes when you include like mm-hmm. if, if in the title you have only so much time to give content mm-hmm. and context mm-hmm. and it's really easy to have a title when it's working with such a small amount of information to fit to be done in a way that can fit certain narratives that you may not agree with, mm-hmm. uh, but where it can be weaponized for that. And that's, that's where I can mostly see where that would be coming from. Mm-hmm. So like, it doesn't mean that it is being used in a racist way. Mm-hmm. However, there are instances where people will take that very valid argument about what's mm-hmm. going on with those companies and how they are state controlled and use it for privacy racist. concerns as well. Yeah. Point. And use yeah. just like the, Chinese people uh, are bad, so yeah. Or Chinese companies are bad. That's yeah, not me it, saying that. That's what other people might say. Yeah, and Maybe use the warp one, yeah. the like quote unquote clickbaity title for right. that purpose. I don't think the title was clickbait, but just like no. the the snappier version of the title supporting it mm-hmm. that way. That is basically okay. where I would be, uh, where I would agree with the the criticism there. Okay, that's good feedback. Uh, but yeah, so purchased by NetEase. Um, you can watch my 60 second short. Do you want to give your thoughts on that, Corey? I mean, uh, you said you didn't think it was going to happen anyway. I, yeah, like, I don't I don't know what the deal with Eclipse was, whether it was just like a, a marketing ploy to get the company to be able to be bought. But then what does that say about uh, Lucasfilm Games? Like, how how limited are they being with the deals they make or the licensing they do? Uh, Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that necessarily even as a criticism of them, because if they are being pretty wide with saying, okay, you can make this and not doing as much control other than like oversight on specific content when it comes to them, does that also mean that there are more Star Wars games we just haven't heard about, which would be a good side to it? Or Mm -hmm. does it mean that uh, the flip side of that, where maybe we're getting all these announcements, Lucasfilm Games will seem on board with it. And then even they don't necessarily expect everything to come to fruition. So it's hard to say where that's going to go. Yeah, I kind of wonder whether, like, I'd love to look at some of these contracts. Like, I wonder whether Lucasfilm Games puts a provision when they license, or it'd be more like just Disney when they license Star Wars, whether there's, like, a provision that, like, company ownership can can basically remove your right to make the game. Mm-hmm. Um because people were blaming Lucasfilm like, or Star Wars. Like, it's got nothing to yeah. do with them other than the fact that they licensed the IP out to yeah. a, a company which is questionable for other reasons. David Cage is, is certainly a controversial figure. I'm not really yeah. super knowledgeable on everything he's done, so I'm not going to say, but I, I just know he's he seems to be kind of a little bit of a shady fella, to say the least. Yeah, like, honestly, um, if it was the removal of David Cage that came along with this, I'd see it as probably a side grade. Mm-hmm. But, like, I... There was there was a lot of talk when the game was announced of like Quantic Dream is in a really weird spot 
and people talking about how the game announcement was kind of just a way to drive up the value of the company in the first place because they were looking to sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that Which I makes mean, makes Star Wars seem like a vi- vi- uh, valuable uh, IP to yeah. have licensed. I mean, sure, but yeah. it also is like, okay, was that their plan? Was that something that Lucasfilm might have been aware of? And mm-hmm. is there is there a game? Is there even a game? <laughs> Yeah, it's funny to imagine all the time we spent breaking down this trailer. Like I did like a I think half an hour video on it. I thought it was an amazing trailer it as was. well. It was a great trailer. And like in the end it was just fucking nothing. Like it's like this is But it's also like the the trailer isn't made by quant like there's there's not really a connection between the trailer and the ultimate content of the game anyways. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, do we do we take the trailer content as canon? Can I use those starfighters in uh imperial reign at some point that's what i want to know yeah i mean i think you could um i yeah it's it's a cool idea like it seems like this this the trailer's kind of telling the story of like two kind of like trade federations fighting um mm-hmm. cool idea but uh cool. yeah we'll see what happens if anything but i think that's the only real we did get an andor can... clip as well which yeah. i thought was really great um uh, I th- like I I, I'm do- I don't want to overstate how good a clip was when it's you know two minutes long. There was a longer version you could see as well that was shown before Rogue One, which has been re-released, uh, limited degree in Canada. I think just in Toronto, and the theater that I saw the movie in the first time. Just in and- Toronto is our prime minister's name for people who don't know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know. The dialogue looked great, um, and the lighting and the directing and all. You know, I don't want to overstate it, but I feel confident. I did think it was a little weird that the clip got released with the title and or bought out by a shitty Chinese company. But what can you do? <laughs> yeah, that was a weird part of that movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I I forget what I said about Andor when it originally was announced. I always felt like I was going to like it more than other people. Uh, but well, it's my, your favorite. Mo- it's your favorite movie, right? Yeah, well, it's only increased since and uh, it looks really good. So I'm really excited I was... two weeks from now. Yeah, I was not hyped about it. I, I don't want to say at all, but it was like it and Kenobi were my two lowest. Um, the thing was like, I, I really liked Rogue One, but for me, it was like the battles that I really liked. The characters I always thought were the weakest part of the movie. Um, so the idea of revisiting them, I wasn't sure how they could do it. But now that I see, see it's like everything, I, there's been nothing that I've seen that doesn't have me excited about it. Like everything, they're saying everything right. The only thing I, I'm not a huge fan of is like how they've accidentally um, given the anti-volume people some ammunition, uh, but I think that will kind of come around. Yeah, it's the same like when when uh, it's like when J.J. Abrams started filming Episode Seven, he's like practical effects or, and practical sets, and people were like, "New Star Wars movie's not using any green screen. It's going to be sick." It's like, yeah, he actually traveled to space here. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I. It's going to be the same as any of the other technology that's introduced by Star Wars, where mm-hmm. it's probably going to be a little bit weird at first, but eventually everyone will use the volume. We're going to be recording Tapcaf in there later this year. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, there was one other ping or one other thing that came out, I think. Uh, the Bad Batch was relisted for the 28th. Mm, yeah. Uh, right. So I don't know what happened there exactly, but it, the assumption I was making was that it was going to be delayed just so that it wasn't like and or three episodes on the 15th. Then yeah, like two weeks with one episode, or rather one week with one episode. Wait, and then the Andor comes week. out on the fifteenth. Doesn't it? Come out on the thirty-first. Andor comes out in the middle of the month, doesn't it? 
21st, okay. Oh, 21st, my bad. Yeah, and then it comes out, and then it's a week later for Bad Batch, right? Yeah. 28th, I think? Yeah. So, yeah, there's going to be essentially five episodes of Star Wars within the space of seven days. Yeah, and they might even do a double release for Bad Batch, like like they did yeah. with season one, which, yeah, we're going to be fucking busy, uh, but I love it, and it's going to be great. I've, I'm really looking forward to the Bad Batch. That was one show where, like, I really enjoyed having it just w- week after week. You know, not every yeah. episode. Like, we initially, I remember, planned to talk about every second episode or something on the show. And then it just, it, we went to every four. And then sometimes we didn't even do that. But it's just, it's a it's a fun show to have. And yeah. I think season two is going to really go some interesting places. Like uh, Wayland. Mm-hmm. With an E now. Right. Well... Should we get into... Speaking of going interesting places. We are going to be talking about... Oh, you took the cover off too. Uh... It's the exact same as your Discord color. It's almost... Oh yeah, that exact is, same. It's a little, It's a little brighter, but yeah. Or your logo, yeah. Well, so I'm going to have to get on the phone with some lawyers after this. Yeah, I don't know if you want to... That's, that's Corey loses blue. I'll represent you for sure. That's what it's called if you select it in Photoshop too. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've actually used the blue version of the icon anywhere before other than Discord. So I use the yellow yeah. one for clips, the yellow one at the end of datapad videos. The fact that I have two logos that I use inconsistently is... I think um, that's fun. I'm not a, a branding So expert. basically, I want to check Beth Revis's, uh, di- a computer because she obviously di- she obviously designed this yes. cover. So I'm yeah. going to check her computer and see whether she's got Discord installed and whether she's in the Corey Lewis's Discord server. Yeah, it's only fair. Uh, yeah. But quick synopsis, the book opens up with the proposal and then marriage of Han and Leia. They get married within a few uh, days of Endor. They're on Endor itself. Uh, there's little uh, little wokelings that are all over the uh, all over the moon. They're a bunch of young Ewoks, but... Mm-hmm. young Ewoks Dana Dana taught me this because she read that part of the book first so my girlfriend read the first hundred page of the book she hasn't finished it yet but she informed me that baby Ewoks are called walklings but it's spelled w-o-k-l-i-n-g-s so they're mm-hmm. Gordon Peterson's favorite species and we gotta be like the Ewok and then hierarchy they understand hierarchy <laughs> they build villages in the trees and the men throw on the ground <laughs> <laughs> the Ewoks understand. <laughs> but then Mon Mothma tells them they need to go on a honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And this honeymoon is going to take place on the Halcyon, which is the same ship that is the setting of the Galactic Star Cruiser. Uh, so this is a tie in book to the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel. And they go from there. They have some honeymoon hijinks on there. Uh, and they end up on a moon called Matters where there is a fuel source that the Empire had wanted to mine out of the core. It's an aquatic world. And they kind of just came in, told the local population, hey, go fuck yourselves, we're going to take this oil. And uh, left a giant spire there. Han and Leia show Mm -hmm. up. Leia wants to use her honeymoon to do actual work. She wants to get them into the New Republic fold, and they end up having to fight off that Imperial garrison. And at the end, they make some friends. But uh, yeah, so that's the synopsis. Quick thoughts. That was first. a good synopsis. What did you think about the book? All right. Okay. So I publicly complained about this book, and I I stand by those complaints, and we'll talk about that. I'm sure it was 
kind of weird because it was a book that like there were parts that I really, really disliked. Like I felt like a lot of the Leia and Han scenes felt straight out of like a fan fiction website. Um, I felt like sometimes the romance scenes didn't feel like Han and Leia. It felt like kind of romantic man and romantic woman, um, kind of like stock characters. Like their love didn't necessarily feel like kind of genuine to them, I guess is, is how I would describe it. Um, so that was part of it. And I, I've kind of talked about online how I had issues with how the world building works. And I've kind of excerpted some sections here I could talk about uh, later. Um, but on the other hand, there was stuff that I liked. I thought the adventure on, on Maduras was cool. Uh, I liked Leia kind of one aspect of the book is Leia trying to figure out whether she wants to become a Jedi. She kind of um, connects with the Force in her own way. I liked that, and I liked some of the Han and Leia scenes, um, and I liked the. I actually kind of liked the lighter tone of the book as well. I thought it served well. So there was stuff that I liked. There was stuff that I really didn't like. There was the hotel stuff, which I thought was handled kind of as as best as they could have, but yeah. still not really. You know, you can still tell that like I like you can kind of feel not as much as you could have, but I feel like you can kind of feel the arm of Disney's marketing department, like mm-hmm. fucking holding her hand at points, uh, but not as bad as it could have been. So yeah, for me, not a book that I think I'll ever read again. Not one that I particularly liked, but it had moments that I liked. And there's one that I really, really liked too, which we can talk about later. Yeah. Like oh, despite yeah. I did call this, uh, this episode, the princess in the hotel ad, just cause I thought mm-hmm. that was funny. Uh, but I do think as much as I was kind of bleh on the announcement of this book, because like, okay, this is just going to be an ad for the hotel. Uh, half the book it's only actually like a third of the book that's on the ship. Yeah. Uh, there's a bit, especially towards the start, that does feel a lot like, okay, this is just this is where this is going, and it's going to just be heavy-handed, come stay at our hotel thing. Yeah. But once you get past Mon Mothma, uh, sorry, Mon, pushing them to be on their honeymoon, I thought like you could you could easily read this book, be unaware that there is a hotel that is like a Star Wars hotel, and you wouldn't think it's weird that the book exists or... Yeah. Like, I, I think it was actually handled really well by Revis. Uh, I don't hold it against her that, like, the way no, she had neither. to write a Star yeah. Wars book was that they yeah. wanted this tie-in. Uh, yeah. I will say... No, I don't blame her at all. Uh, I will say that, like, it is primarily meant to be, like, a book about on and Leia romance stuff, yep. so we're not necessarily the intended audience, the two of us directly. Uh... Yes. So our opinion will be uh, slightly skewed by that as well. But overall, I feel like I had similar feelings about this book to Brotherhood, actually, which we talked about a few weeks mm. ago, Okay. where I thought the overall plot was decent, not amazing. The world building stuff had some, but in Brotherhood, you had less problems with it than me, I think. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to talk a lot about that. Uh, but I don't think this is where you want to go to a book if in, if the world building, like the galactic situation, is what you're interested in. Uh, I don't think it's what it's setting out to do, and I don't think it handles what it does particularly well. But I also don't think that's what the book is for. So when mm-hmm. you're someone like me or you who is most interested in that, then it's going to appeal less. I did actually think, uh, apparently contrary to what your opinion was, that the characters were mm-hmm. handled pretty well. Okay, fair enough. Uh, which is, again, what I liked most about uh, Brotherhood. But similar mm-hmm. to Brotherhood, uh, for a book that is about the relationship of Han and Leia, there was so much of the book, particularly in the early half and especially on the ship itself, where Han and Leia weren't 
actually together mm-hmm. for more than a few Especially pages. Especially on their honeymoon, yeah. Yeah, which is part of the like the journey they're going through uh, where like they're kind of, they have to learn to get along more. But I did think that the characters were handled pretty well as like mm-hmm. a, a character examination for them. I guess my issue was, for one, they give like, I, I got to kind of be careful how I say this. It feels like Leia is tra- is treated too much as like a hero. Uh, like, I mean, she is a hero, but like, there's no Leia's only negative aspect is that she's she cares too much about the New Republic. Uh, um, okay. Oh, go ahead. So I think that like the reason it comes across of like that is because that's kind of what Leia's thing that she has to face in this book is, is that mm-hmm. she's kind of inherited Anakin's I need to help these people thing and where she's going too far with it to the point that she's the one causing the problems. Like, mm-hmm. ultimately, the things that go wrong in this book are Leia's fault for not being able to accept that other people have good ideas, too. Where... I suppose, but I mean, at the end of the day, without her, the planet is destroyed and all these things because they but there were the last moment there were so many points where she was working against what the people she was trying to help were saying and where Mm -hmm. it was pointed out explicitly later on especially like had you not done this we would have been able to like we were planning to contact you we were planning to send you a message we were planning to Mm -hmm. ask them uh what is now the new republic for help and had it not been for han and leia interfering in the specific way that they did Mm -hmm. would not have been trying to kill everyone that was leaving the planet the planet probably wouldn't have been destroyed as quickly or on the path to being destroyed as quickly like Mm -hmm. there were so many things that han and leia's contribution well their heart was technically in the right place if leia had just accepted that other people might know what they're doing as well Mm -hmm. then they wouldn't have had the problems they were having yeah and i totally agree with that I, i think that kind of falls into my she cares too much about the new republic thing um and I, I I agree, and there's also the fact that she pretends that her actions are different than the Empire's, and in, in the way they are, because she's not strong-arming Madurs into joining the New Republic, but she's also pretending to give a shit about the art and all of these things when all she wants is access to the planet, because it, it essentially has a strategic fuel resource, um, which is not that different. It's just a, a, like, a salt, like it's the Velvet Glove approach. But what I meant is more on like an interpersonal level with Han, Um where it's one of those books where you like you have you do obviously have to start from the point that the two characters are in love but it, it just it never felt like there was any real depth of their love in a romance right. book which like like listen like I like romance novels in Star Wars I really liked Lost Stars it's it's one of my favorites and now that's different because you see the two characters fall in love from a young age and that's you know that's different but and you can't get that in in a story with the, the pre-existing characters. But my kind of issue is that Han's love for Leia it almost feels more like infatuation, right? And maybe even vice versa as well, where it's just like, oh, I, I love her so much. She's got all these. She loves the New Republic too much. She sometimes stiff arms me, but I just love her so much. And every every time they're together, like that's what I kind of meant by the fan right. fictiony. It's like I just want to bang you tonight. I just want to do this. I just want to do that. And like I, I get that that it's called the honeymoon phase for a reason, but for like the kind of key exploration of, you know, why they matter to each other, I would have liked to see kind of a more mature look at the characters, I yeah. guess. And I mean, ultimately we know it doesn't, it doesn't quite work out for them as well, but that's more for outside circumstances than like yeah. this un, 
you lose a kid, you're going to break up almost, yeah. almost certainly. Yeah. And this is like Holland doesn't have much time leading up to this where no. he's been able to think about Leia that way. Cause like they talk about it a lot in the book where he has a, an entire missing year that covers most of the time from cloud city to Endor because he was frozen in carbonite. I got to say too, the ages, it weirds me out. It yeah. really does. Han's 37 and Leia's 22. It's, it's just weird. And it makes mm -hmm. the way that Han to me, it makes the way that Han talks about Leia and how he sees Leia and how like, it, it just makes it weird for me. Yeah. Like yeah. aside from just the the magnitude of the age difference, the specific ages are yeah, like it's very creepy. Especially when you roll it back a couple of years yeah. <laughs> and she's eighteen and he's still what, thirty-three? Yeah. Um, and listen, I'm not saying I, I, I this is something I mentioned on Twitter too. Am I saying it's predatory? I mean, I think in in a situation where, like, uh, and listen, Star, Wars, I'm not I'm not retroactively saying this about the original Star Wars movie, just to be clear. But you know, like in a situation where you do have an an 18 year old and a, an older man who's rescuing you, yeah, it could be predatory. I'm not saying that here, though. I just it's just a little weird. Like, mm -hmm. I'm 30, uh, and the idea of me dating a 22 year old is fucking exhausting. Now, admittedly, Leia's, you know mature and different but like i also would like to see the kind of and I, I think we get this with luke sometimes like the recognition that she is still just a young person like at the end of yeah. the day like she's like she's basically i think she's close to han's age when han was in the movie right and solo i think about that uh yeah that'd be close yeah maybe maybe still slightly younger yeah so i don't know it's just that I gotta say that that did really that combined with again it felt to me like a bit fan fiction writing where the the romance it's more about kind of the acts than the than the actual deeper feelings that that's kind of that that really made me feel weird about parts of the book. Yeah, I, it does set up Leonardo DiCaprio to play Han in, <laughs> in the movie of this book, but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that like um, at least with the. Uh, it's not any better in Legends, but like at least them getting married later, I think that part works slightly better. Han's also a but little also, younger. Yeah. Only like three years, but not that that really matters, yeah. but a little bit younger. Basically, what we're saying is you should have stayed in the in the Carbonite for another decade or so, and then we're, we're on relatively... Uh, you know what? Give him another five years, and then it's, it's better footing. That's one thing that I kind of liked. Han dealing with kind of his carbonite PTSD yeah. throughout the novel. That's something um, I don't think ever really gets addressed no, in a lot of older stories. I think true. that's really good that that was like a really good takeaway from the character to kind of address how Han would feel about that. Mm -hmm. No, I, I I totally agree. Uh, that was like there's one point where he jumps into the water and Leia's like, why is he panicking? And that's that's one part where I actually did feel like, OK, like this is a real relationship where Leia could identify why he's freaking out when like even, you know, it's been repeated 10 times throughout the book. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. He's he's still dealing with the fact that he's probably got PTSD or some other form of trauma from being frozen. Yeah, and I think like on dealing with that and Leia dealing with the. Uh, kind of the, the fallout of her being. Uh, being Vader's daughter, which is addressed more in Bloodlines, really. But like, if you look at this as the kind of comparison, 
not to Courtship of Princess Leia, which is the one people will always make the comparison to, but mm-hmm. Truce at Bakura, which I think is in a lot of ways the, the better comparison to make. Yeah, I like, would agree with that. There's this scene in Truce of Bakura where, uh, where Leia tells Clingy Anakin to fuck off, but yeah. I feel like the the broader exploration of how she'd feel about it, and especially the Force here, is done better. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. That was one part that I definitely, um, I definitely did really like. Uh, another thing that I liked, uh, Luke's uh, his speech when when they're getting married is was kind of cringy, where he's like invoking the name of everyone who died. When it's you know it's a, but but whatever, it wasn't that bad. But I did like how he kind of they dro- she dropped a little callback to what he says to Leia. Mm-hmm. He says no one's ever really gone, and he throws that into the speech. For me, that was like okay, that does make the moment in Episode Eight a little more meaningful when like he said that to her before in a much happier situation. Um, yeah. I kind of liked that. Now he's taunting her with their dead murder father. So yeah, exactly. Just just reading uh, just reading some of my notes here. Uh, for earlier on in the book, uh, there were a couple other things I liked. Um, there was one part where they're in the meeting with. Uh, with Mon Mothma and Han's looking at Leia and Leia starts to blush and he says the blush had nothing to do with Akbar, which I just thought was funny <laughs> because Winter, who's like Leia's twin, regularly had sexual relations with Admiral Akbar. Yeah. According to the the deepest lore. Oh, did you um, uh did you get the Twitter message that we were very I did, yeah, I just saw there? that. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if we should take a, a brief moment to to mention that here. Yeah, do you want to go ahead? Uh yeah. Up? So MVP Clay was kind enough to ask Pablo Hidalgo about uh, a few questions, primarily uh, getting the unnecessary, to be honest, uh, official confirmation of Akbar and Winter, because we all know we, we didn't need the confirmation. We knew it was real. But Clay asked about the, the process to approve Winter and Akbar's relationship uh, when brought up in books and was asking, like, did, did authors need to get that checked out afterwards? Or before being able to publish it, and Pablo responded, "Don't recall seeing any evidence it required any special handling." So basically, so there isn't it. Yeah, so like basically, it, it's just so widely known and accepted that isn't the thing. Like, if you want to put Akbar and Winter just like hardcore scene in a Star Wars book, Fucking that's already yeah. autumn. It's assumed you're going to do it, and I think the editors are disappointed when it doesn't show up. So if there's yeah. any future Star Wars authors that are listening to this podcast, uh make the explicit connection between Akbar and Ray and uh yeah. in winter. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh there was also I Luke also said he'd heard of places where he could find more Jedi lore and I was just like, oh he saw my YouTube channel. Sweet. Because <laughs> <laughs> he used the word the word lore in uh in actual conversation, which is always funny. The last thing I want to mention is for the, the early part of the book is when they're in the tree houses, um Leia mentions that that many troopers had fallen over the low barriers like or she mentioned some troopers had fallen over the low barriers like you mean they fucking died like <laughs> those tree houses were really high up so i don't know that was just i didn't, didn't know if you some of them were well. some of them were lower like you had to get up to the higher ones mm-hmm. yeah because ewoks understand social hierarchy yeah the ewoks also understand that they don't like alcohol but they want to drink it uh, they understand that they can just force their way into people's weddings. Mm-hmm. So the party scene was fun. I liked that as well. And I liked, uh, for one, 
I'm tired of the I'm tired of, of Han being such a dick to C3PO. C3PO yeah. was right. He, like that was his main function, planning a party, and Han doesn't invite him. And then he doesn't even invite R2, and then R2 rolls in there and he's like bouncing back and forth on his legs. Like that was so cute. Like, how yeah. do you not fucking respect R2D2? Yeah, it it was I expect Han to be a dick to C3PO, but the R2 disrespect was both like C3PO disrespect is abhorrent to be I don't wanna like don't come for me on Twitter. I don't mm. defend it, but I expect it, right? Yeah. Whereas the R2 stuff, just shocking. Like yeah. how this man can be, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What's more, we know, I believe, that Hera and Chopper were on Endor. And if you're throwing a party and you're not inviting Chopper, like what the fuck is wrong with you? Are Were they still on Endor the day after? I them? believe that there's a, a short, might be non-canon that shows the ghost still there. Okay, because we we know Hera was about to be busy with Starhawk, and there's even a mention of wanting the track yeah, we... tech for Project Starhawk in this as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, right when they say the war's already over, but they still need new ships. Yeah, but are we gonna are we going there now? You want to go there? Let's do it. Lay out okay. your case first, because okay. you're wrong. I'm not wrong, but I, I that's okay. So as I flip open my book. One of my major issues is the way the book portrays the state of the galaxy after the Battle of Endor. And Corey is going to point out correctly that some people do recognize that although, you know, the Empire is dead, the fighting is not over. And I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not arguing that. But what they, what does happen is people make it seem like the war has fundamentally changed because of the Emperor's death, to the point where the Empire is described as like basically going into hiding. Um, so, for example, days after the Battle of Endor, the uh, the Hollow Net is back to free um, back to free speech. Leia's eyes widened during the war. The Empire had heavily censored and controlled the feeds. Uh, then it just talks kind of about how she had for a while before. Like when she was still young, been kind of a positive image for Alderaan. Now she watched as the feed showed an external shot of the Halcyon, followed by internal glimpses of whatever, just kind of what's going on. And then on the next page, she's kind of considering the state of the galaxy. Um, now that uh, she and then she's listening to a news report that says, with the confirmation of the Empire's fall coming from multiple reliable sources, um, blah, 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 blah. An economist from Coruscant uh, will be promoting a new series at the Panos Lecture Hall about kind of how the uh, how the core worlds will um, stabilize the credit system, blah, 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 blah. Now the galactic economy has shifted from imperial military contracts to peacetime. Um, and then Leia kind of mentions uh, next, the Empire's previous contracts were with armament factories and the development of Star Destroyers. Um it would not be a matter of fulfilling, this is Leia's thoughts, it would not be a matter of fulfilling orders for more weapons. The economy would honor the shift to more productive means of goods that would benefit peace. Um, what's more? Uh, oh yeah, so basically at this point as well, the Empire takes such an L apparently at the Battle of Endor that, and I will admit, I did read something wrong too. I thought it said most of the mid-rim and Inner Rim had joined the Rebel Alliance for the New Republic. That's not what it says, as Corey pointed out to me in a private message. So that's probably an issue with the uh, 
listening to it on audiobook, it does say most of the planets that joined were in the inner rim or the mid rim. Very important difference there. Um, but it also talks about how basically after Endor, the Empire largely still goes to the outer rim and their strategy moves, Mon Mothma says, from relying on open fighting instead to uh, bounty hunters and subterfuge and trying to affect the New Republic's economy. So what I'm trying to say is, essentially, it seems like the, 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 because of the, Empire's, the Emperor's death, the war has changed to such a fundamental level that the Empire is now essentially turned into like these fucking guys hiding in the Outer Rim with no real power anymore. And I just, I don't like that at all. So... I agree with the basic premise that the book goes too far with it okay, too fast. But I think that most of the things that portray it as if the war is actually over or there was an immediate fundamental shift in the actual positions uh, or balance in military strength are people's opinions that are undercut by either prior or following statements on the same page or throughout the book. So I'll agree with you on half of that. I'll let you continue though. Leia talking about all the, especially from Leia, Mm because Leia is very much on the empire's dead thing. And there are Mm -hmm. multiple remarks from other people throughout the book saying, I know it ain't. And Mm -hmm. Leia herself even acknowledges towards the end, despite what she had said about the, like, Oh, how are we going to adjust the galaxy towards more peaceful production? She's still talking about building new starships towards the end when she's mm-hmm. like forced to acknowledge that they are working on Project Starhawk. Leia mm-hmm. is being far too optimistic. Mon Mothma, there's a scene before they go on the uh, on their honeymoon where mm-hmm. everyone's also saying not just is the war not over, but it's already going to be worse than we had expected because they're talking about all these blockades and important systems for fuel distribution. So mm-hmm. like Anawat is entirely blockaded. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. So I completely agree that Leia is, is misunderstanding. So I'll agree with you that the war is not over and she thinks it is in the book. You're right. The book goes so far as to acknowledge that when she's talking with the mayor, she misreads what he says. She says the empire's dead and he goes, or, or, or she goes, the spire, he says the spire's as dead as the empire is. Yes. And his, he's, what his meaning is that the empire is not dead at all, and neither is the spire. She takes it the opposite way, and she figures out she's, she's full of it. So there, I think there's definitely the acknowledgement that, yeah, the empire, you know, there's still a lot of fighting left, and there still is a lot of war. But I don't think that that changes, like, the pretty kind of neutral information we get from, say, Mon Mothma, who does point out that, the empire has fundamentally changed their position. Like we do hear of blockades, the, the, I think the iron sector blockade or whatever is from one of the star Wars mobile games. Um, so yeah, there, there were some references to that, but I, I do still think like the way they talk about the empire, you know, still surviving is, you know, relatively accurate, like how they are going to be relying on things like assassins and how they don't seem to have the capability to, to fight, you know, a full scale war anymore. Like I, I think Leia doesn't quite understand the danger that that still has. My problem yeah. is I don't think that that's, 
like that's just not believable to me. And but that's I, something... I don't think it's even necessary. I don't think what the book is laying out is necessarily even a situation where it has fundamentally shifted to just being that either. Like, mm. I I would put a lot of those announcements by like the the news shows and everything as being kind of similar to the celebrations at the end of Return of the Jedi. Like mm -hmm. we see parties on Coruscant, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Coruscant is now free. It means mm -hmm. in the few days of what is probably going to be a lot of turmoil and people like jumping the gun on certain things that a lot of them are probably going to face reprisals too. And we know that there's still Operation Cinder to look forward to, which the book hints at a bit as well. But like we know that the we know that the book knows that there's still Imperial forces that are going to be very active in all of these places even if the command structure has been heavily dis uh, disrupted by the fact that the emperor is dead. And I mm -hmm. wouldn't even necessarily say that the events shown in this book portray the difficulties of the empire a few days after Endor that differently than Trusit Bakura does, where there is no one left in that half of the galaxy to help the Siruvi. So the New Republic mm -hmm. gets Imperial transmissions and are the only people in that half of the galaxy able to go and help Bakura. I don't think it's that. Yeah, different. I don't necessarily disagree. I, I think we just kind of fundamentally disagree on how we read kind of the state of the empire for me. Like I, I kind of take the, like my issue really started with that briefing that Mon Mothma gives about 20 pages in about, and then kind of how we hear the empire talked about. Um, and and I, I agree that the truce of Bakura also has a lot of big issues uh, when kind of read in context. But I also give the Truce of Bakura a lot more credit, or I, I, I do give it a bit more leeway because of when it was written and because it doesn't exaggerate a problem that already existed in other novels. Well, I mean, maybe maybe it does to an extent, but like this is something that Star Wars Aftermath obviously uh, arguably gets wrong too, where it's like all the Imperial forces, even before Jakku, it's like all the Imperial forces meeting at one planet. Um, and, and yeah, I guess that's just something that I'm not a not a huge fan of. Yeah. And that, it, I just kind of read the book as a continuation of that. I like I I definitely think you can take that away from it, but mm -hmm. I think that the book does enough to say that that is the wrong thing to take from it. Like it's the it's the same problem as like taking anything a character says as being mm -hmm. the law. Where mm -hmm. I think it I think it does enough, maybe not enough. Uh, but it does some stuff to at least set out the idea that these people are probably wrong about what their assessment of the situation is. I do think there are certain things that happen with it that are way too fast and don't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like the way the Halcyon uh, starts like within a day of like, oh, we're turning this back into a cruise ship and re yeah. retaking it from the Empire. Uh, and some of the stuff with the, uh, with the Holonet uh goes too far in that direction as well but i do think there are a lot of elements of just parallels to the celebrations on coruscant and everywhere that mm -hmm. don't necessarily lock you into problems elsewhere like if you're reading this without the context of aftermath i don't think it's a problem but the fact that it does exist with aftermath happening where it's already a situation that hasn't been handled very well it has that going against it like i don't think this is quite so dire okay again um we don't disagree that much so i'm happy to have this one and if you guys want to chime in you can send us 
send us your messages. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think I think you got a fair point. I ultimately disagree. For me, the big takeaway that what Lay is learning is that in this new form, the Empire is still a threat, and not to kind of underestimate them in this back rooms, you know, shady. Like, hey, we're not going to shoot fleet to you, but we're still destroying this planet in an unconventional way. But I, I do see where you're coming from as well. So you guys can email us and let us know kind of what you thought on that point. Uh, all right. Anything else you want to touch on with the book? I think those were most of. Mm, I liked the uh, I liked the planet they were on. I thought it was yeah. pretty cool. Um, total dick move by Leia, as you kind of alluded to earlier, too. She kind of just co-ops the crews for her own purposes to basically go on another diplomatic mission. Mm-hmm. Um the supply of Tabana gas has been cut off uh, by the Empire, so they're kind of looking for alternatives. And one of them is this this gas that's on this uh, kind of water moon. That's a pretty cool location. Uh, very kind of small planet, despite its uh, strategic importance. They've got some cool sea monsters. And then ultimately, the Empire shot this giant drill down into the planet uh, from orbit or from space, which is slowly kind of picking away at the crust. And it's essentially compromising the, uh, the 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 planet's core and it's going to lead to the destruction eventually so it's kind of a way that the empire even without having a death star could still you know fuck people over which i thought was cool and it was uh it was symbolism for how the empire's biggest power later in legends would be going to the deep core yeah there you go yeah there yeah you go. i like that yeah it's the the giant fish were symbolism uh, they're meant to be the replacement warlords for sure they were they were symbolism for how leia would use them and then they'd immediately die when the planet was <laughs> gonna explode they they yeah. saved the planet but no one seemed to care about that at the time yep i still don't know how to spell those because i listened to this one on audiobook i don't even really remember what they're called the giant whale things i don't remember what they're called either and i read the book so yeah okay all right the big question though this or if, courtship? I guess you can answer that if you want. That wasn't the question I was going to ask. Okay. You continue. No, so, well, now you brought it up. So I think I give courtship a B. This one is going to be a C for me. So courtship. Uh, I'm going to open up our tier list just to kind of look at mm-hmm. what we ranked. Trusa Bakura and... Uh, I think I would have given both those Bs. Thing. So this is called... Princess and the Scoundrel. Not Smugglers, I wrote a bunch of times. (laughs) The Princess and the Smuggler? Yeah. I was like, why is this not coming up when I search for it? You gave it a a C, you said? Yeah, I'll give it a C. C? All right. Mm -hmm. So after our uh, hours of arguing, we have once again come to the exact same conclusion. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, so... (laughs) Trusa Bakura, we actually both gave that a C as well. Okay, I might, I might have to give this a D then. Will you? Uh, okay, so let, let's look at what else has a D. Okay. First. Okay. So that'd be a two. I always get it backwards. Okay. Krytos Trap, actually. Uh, I can't say I like this more than Krytos Trap. Uh, maybe I can. I don't know. What Dark else? Dark Apprentice and Champions of the Force. Or you did both of those as <sighs> C's. I did Champions of the Force as my your, your F, right? two F's. Yeah. yeah. You gave Children of the Jedi and Planet of Twilight an F. Dark Saber a D. 
this would tie it with things like ambush at Corellia, Fallen Star. Um, you know what? I'm going to give it a C because the parts that I liked, I quite liked. Um, the uh, and I'm I'm kind of I might have to move Truce of Pakura up a bit. I can't believe I gave that a C. I must have been uh, honestly early on first book. Um, no, well, that's after we but, re-ranked it as well. Remember. I don't know if yeah. uh, it's been through like two re-rankings like but that. B's are average, right? Is that what we or C are average? C is our average. All right, then I'm gonna give it a D. If C's are average, I'll give it a D. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I might I might change that. I'm gonna think about it. But so, are how much are you thinking of that within like the the pantheon of Star Wars books? And their legacy versus reading it at the time, because that's when we would have ranked it. Yeah, rather than like thinking about like this yeah. is Truce at Bakura. I'm trying not to think about it that way. I'm trying to talk about like, okay, so if C is an average, was this below average? And there were parts that I felt were very below average. Like I thought the wedding scene was unbelievably shitty. Well, corny, not shitty. I thought the scene where they're on the horses was like made me puke almost because it was. It, so fucking dumb and fan fictiony. I'm sorry, Beth, if you ever listen to this. I just thought it was dumb. It wasn't for me. Um, but uh, there were other parts that I really liked. But and I like the fact that it's a slower book and that it's a romance. Uh, I'll give it. A, I'll give it a C. I think I'm gonna give. I'm. I'm gonna give it a C. It's you know. I think this will be an interesting one when we get to the next re ranking. Yeah. And kind yeah, of look at it from more of a distance. For now, I'm leaving it at C as well. Okay. Uh, okay. So we have a couple questions. Neat. So our first question is from Joel, who asks, with Princess and the Scoundrel being essentially canon courtship of Princess Leia, it begs the question, what are some of the major differences between canon and legends, not necessarily plot or lore ways, but more in terms of the tone and feel that the overall canon is trying to go for compared to Legends. An example would be people who say Legends was too hard sci-fi, while canon tends to lean more traditional fantasy. I know that's a bit of a generalization, but it's those sort of large macro-level tonal differences that I'm interested in looking at as the new canon continues to be developed. If anything, I would say the opposite. Yeah. Um, where, like, courtship is the best example. Um, yeah. But I, I, th I think the bigger difference so far, and this is... Uh, going to come off as unfavorable to canon is that canon has been more supplementary stuff um where i mean mm -hmm. i guess you could say the same about courtship but like it feels like legends maybe because they didn't think there was going to be any more movies they definitely had a bit more room to play with um that for tone like i think tone in, in legends is very inconsistent like we've talked a lot about how the canon ones some of them are very they feel like fantasy like the young jedi knights books feel like fantasy um and like there have been aspects of of canon novels especially the thrawn book at times or the um even the first high republic book where that felt like more like harder science fiction so yeah yeah i i think there's definitely something to be said about the fact that like a lot of the canon books are kind of secondary to the the fact that there are the sequel movies and then there's yeah. the shows coming out so usually it's in support of something else, uh, say a hotel. Um, but the yeah. I, I I almost feel like if you look within the specific publishing eras for Star Wars, 
you have a fairly consistent tone executed to varying degrees of quality or like i don't think there's anything quite as goofy as what star wars legends got yeah but like the there was as much as like courtship is more fantasy like stands out as more fantasy and the black fleet crisis stands out as more hard yeah. sci-fi. oh yeah yeah aside yeah. from those you tend to have like a pretty standard pulpy style for legends yeah. uh, where i think one of canon's strengths has been that it's approached certain things from a bigger variety of genres mm-hmm. and you've ended up with well i think like some of the overall world building has ended up worse partially as a result of this uh you have had certain highs that i don't think legends was able to hit in the same period with uh with how it was able to explore actual topics so uh like the thrawn trilogy as much as it's a a fan favorite it's a classic you're not reading the thrawn trilogy then leaving it thinking about the themes that it's left you with or whatever Mm -hmm. because that wasn't what star wars was trying to do but i think if you read something like alphabet squadron then there was a bit more room for it to try to tackle things that have yeah. more of a, a point to it. Yeah, uh, and before everyone gets mad at Corey, he's he's also that also doesn't mean it's better. Yeah. Um because you like you can have something with a message and it can be dog shit. Not the case for Alpha Squadron, obviously, but Yeah, like I, I don't think there was quite the same attempt to explore those kinds of themes with a lot of the Legends books. It was more mm-hmm. uh this it is was the more, fun adventure yeah. we're going on for this week. And some of those were great, some of those were less great. Uh but mm-hmm. I think like with Canon you have certain books that are more in the you can we're going to explore this uh this topic or other ones that are a bit more this is our adventure for the week and i think the this is our adventure for the week books for canon have been on average weaker than the legends but Mm -hmm. then you get stuff like uh alphabet squadron that is uh quite good yeah well, what the, one thing I wanted to mention too that then that's a good answer, and this is completely different. I just wanted to, we didn't talk about the hotel much. Uh, I uh, rather only, not. The, I, I, my ranking for the hotel is F. So <laughs> the one thing that I wanted to say is I did feel Disney's hand on the the kind of pen when it came to Han, and like I just feel like Han would have no fucking time for a luxury star cruiser. But yeah, but yeah, that's that's all I wanted to say. He kind of didn't, but he went along with it. Yeah. And he, he's like, he can't help but be impressed by everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, okay, our next question comes from Felicia, who says, Hey guys, long-time listener, I've been slowly catching up with the podcast. Just finished the last adult novel in the High Republic series. When, spoilers, Starlight Beacon comes crashing down, I can help think of mm. 9-11, especially the scenes of average citizens watching it on Hollow. For anyone in high school in America, the that day the teacher walked in with a TV with live news feeds of the attack. I was too young uh, and only in elementary school at the time. Super random, I guess, but I don't know if Claudia Gay or sorry Claudia Gray intended it that way. Kind of heavy, but I couldn't help but draw the comparison. Uh, I think that was probably consciously or unconsciously the intention, mm-hmm. where uh, a lot of what the High Republic is kind of the themes in that are more based, even if they're a lot simpler than something like Alphabet Squadron, they are kind of based on the whole like faith in government thing. And for American authors, especially a lot of their feelings would kind of go back to nine 11 and the immediate responses to it. Cause that yep. was kind of the political 
touchstone event for how everything was perceived after it. And I, I don't think it's an accident that Starlight Beacon was portrayed in a way that could be taken similarly. Yeah, like if I, I was uh, nine when nine eleven happened, and if I were to write a scene where something catastrophic happens, like Corey said, unconsciously or consciously, I'm probably going to write it based on my experiences. So, so yeah, great, great answer. Yeah. I think good observation. I think that was definitely, definitely yeah. what they were going for. Uh, I think oh actually the the rest the next phase of High Republic starts this year. I wasn't actually expecting it until next year. But it's in like October. Yeah. Flashback though, not super yeah. interested, not gonna lie. The phase is a flashback, but still. Sooner uh-huh. than I thought. No. Uh next question. Thank you, Felicia. Next question comes mm-hmm. from Christopher who says, recently I was listening to your Heir to the Empire episode, and when it came to your frustrations with Thrawn's execution of the tractor beam technician, I have a doyless answer that explains Timothy Zahn's decision-making, thanks to the 20th anniversary edition of the book, which has excerpts from Zahn serving as commentary for when he wrote the book. To summarize, before writing Heir, Zahn had a charity auction where two winners got to either cameo in his next book or decide the fate of their cameo. Uh, Chris Peterson is an insert of fan Chris Peterson, and the other winner decided that Thrawn would have Peterson executed for his failure. So it wasn't Zan falling into the evil Imperial trope or trying to make Thrawn look badass. It was an entirely fan-scripted event. But the Thrawn trilogy, Zan apparently, or apparently made a fair amount of important creative decisions that were influenced by friends and family, the biggest of which being most of the planets he created being anagrams of the fans and friends. All I got to say is, I mean, he had to have a Chris Peterson who died. He chose to put him in as the tractor beam guy. Well, the, the other one picking that Thrawn would have to execute Peterson for his failure, I think like that's partially an excuse, but at the same time, it's still in the book and it's still part of Thrawn's characterization. And if the if the fan had said something that was so clearly out of character, like Luke kills the person for getting his chocolate or his hot chocolate messed up, then like there's definitely a range that Xan was going to be comfortable with. But still, it's yeah, it's. I don't remember if that technician appears before then, but how I would do it if I were Timothy Zahn is I would have character A, who I know is going to die, and character B, who I know is going to die, and when I know, like, okay, i got to put a fan character in who's going to survive, okay, put him into character B. If it's fan character and who's going to die, put him into A. But I don't really know the exact process that it was done, so. Or have him mess up in a more egregious way, or at least have other scenes that undercut, yeah. or like... That's like that is the scene for showing how Thrawn reacts to his underlings. So it becomes a combination of that and not telling Pelion anything, yeah. which kind of if you're if you're going to open yourself up with the fan competition, that's your choice. And if you're going to make that the only scene that helps set up the character, that's also yep. your choice. Yep. Like so I don't think that ultimately would change our opinion too much, knowing the source. That, that is one of the Thrawn, that is one of the Thrawn scenes. Yeah, like what people think of for his character. Yeah. That's probably the one that I hear talked about more than any other, actually. For like when the the Thrawn morality debate comes up. Yeah, so it's an interesting bit of information for the background, but it's also not one that I think is exculpatory mm. for Thrawn's being a dick. Mm-hmm. Totally. Good, good, good insight, though. Our next question, our final question for the night, comes from Jeff, who says, 
Open-ended question for you guys. The dark times of the sequel trilogy releases seem to divide the fandom for no reason and convince people that the only story that can work within the Star Wars universe is that of the classic hero. Luckily, new content like The Mandalorian has proven that's not true and that more contained stories can be free to explore the universe in compelling ways. So my question is the following. If each of you could effectively produce your own show, what would each of you choose for the main character, setting, and general story progression? Or more simply, do you think there are any legend stories or unexplored stories that you would want to see on screen that haven't yet been dabbled in by upcoming shows? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, there's a lot to kind of go on there. I I would, I like the X-Wing series. I think if you can kind of keep Cornhorn or a Cornhorn-like character, because like that is the kind of Cornhorn story, and then later on he does kind of you know end up making his way into becoming hero of the galaxy or whatever. Um, but I think that's a good example of one that would work. Um, yeah, it's just something that's focused on like a group of, and like Rogue One proved that that can work as well. You know, there's no only lightsaber in that is Darth Vader's. You know, obviously cheer it. Uh, you know, he's got some spiritual connection to the force, but he's not a Jedi. He's like an ordinary guy. Um, so yeah, I, something like that. I think like an ordinary people um, doing something. Yeah. Yeah. We, we both are always big on the slice of life. Yeah. Uh, I want to see what I want to see is I want to see star Wars. What if they did it for Marvel? They seem, they were really high quality, like very in depth. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, Corey, but it's basically just like just like what it sounds like. Like, what if um, they managed to pull the fucking glove off Thanos and it's before he got all the Infinity Stones or like whatever, you know? Isn't that also um, like technically canon with the whole multiversal thing as well in Marvel? I forget if they made it canon to their multiverse or not, uh, but I, there was also a Star Wars reference in one of them. So it's scary implications there. Um, I don't know. I... I It'd be nice at this point to see a more uh, high-profile story that kind of sets the Imperial timeline a little bit better after Endor. Mm, Something that's a bit more military-focused could be cool, because there's been a lot of everything else. Uh, And we're going to kind of get that with Andor, I think, where it's it's more subterfuge and politics-focused. Did you say after Endor, or...? yeah. Okay, so maybe maybe Ahsoka will kind of give us a little bit of that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah. yeah. Hopefully we see some interesting stuff in the future. Have you been watching She-Hulk, Corey? I have not. We've actually just got to Miss Marvel. We have one episode left in Miss Marvel. <sighs> That's like almost exactly where I fell off. I really enjoyed the first like four episodes or three episodes of Miss Marvel, but I just... Once I kind of got out of the city and like I thought the plot got kind of crazy, I... I liked her family dynamics and I liked the character and I liked her powers. But once it started, like, you know, I kind of, it kind of lost me a bit. <laughs> We've actually, I think it's been our favorite Marvel show for both me and Dana so far. Like we haven't watched all of them. We kind of fell off Loki and we, that's what I'm watching now. on uh, Falcon and winter soldier. I actually but. just, I tweeted about this the other day. I put my list. Of my Marvel shows, I've not watched um, the fucking uh, Archer. Um, Hawkeye, Hawkeye. I haven't watched that yet, but I liked the first two episodes of She-Hulk. So that was one. At the time, I put Loki as number two, but that show but also kind of lost me. Yet? I'd watched two episodes at the time. 
Okay, well, this is... Yeah. Yeah, so I'd watch two episodes of Loki, and it, I, you know, it was okay, but it's I'm moving that down. And then I had Miss Marvel, which I fell off. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I thought was perfectly serviceable. It was fine. Moon Knight, I got two episodes in, kind of lost me. Probably watch it at some point. And then WandaVision, which I think we kind of discussed in the past. I had some issues with. It wasn't that I like disliked Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It was just it felt like almost such a commitment to watch because it was very much like just a movie each time. It was. It was just like a Captain America movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which so, like I kind of like, but. I liked it, but like when we were, I guess it's just what we were looking for in a show where it just, it kind of didn't mesh with what we were interested in at the time. But which is kind of funny because it feels like all the other shows now, like Loki and One Division, go the opposite route where they're very like kind of wacky. Well, not not wacky in a bad way, but like you know they're time hopping or other dimensions or whatever else. Yeah. Which is why Mark Ruffalo was actually kind of right. Yeah. But anyways, that's going to do it for this week. I think next week, are we doing uh, Edge of Victory too? Yeah, yeah, we'll do Edge of Victory next week. And then, well, we'll need to take some time before Star by Star. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd be the the next book episode. I think I just fucked up the layout. Uh, so if we do Edge of Victory... Then we have a break from reading and do like uh, the next. The problem is Edge of, we'd have, so Edge of Victory would take us to the 8th. Yeah. Um, and then we would have the 15th. I th- what I think we should do is take a break because if we don't, we're going to have issues with Andor because that's the 21st, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing is, so right now it's the 1st. Next week is the 8th. So if that's a book episode, that would put Star by Star on the 22nd, right after Andor comes no, out. No, but we don't, we're not like legally locked into doing the book right after. So what I was going to say... I just didn't think you'd... Okay. Okay, no. What, what, were you, what do you think? I just didn't think you'd want to take two non-book episodes. Well, I mean, when it's a show, then it's better okay. than a book episode. I don't think that's okay. a problem. But if we did okay. like... Unless you don't... You're very opposed to I don't know. No. But my my pitch, this is just me. Okay. Feel free to to say no. Okay. Next week, Edge of Victory. Okay. The fifteenth, Tales of the Jedi, which I think would be our final Tales of the Jedi. Twenty second, TV shows with Andor. Twenty mm-hmm. ninth, Bad Batch. Sixth, mm-hmm. Star by Star. That would work for me. And then we can we can tell Ilkin, because Ilkin wants to be Ilkin. Yeah, Ilkin said Star by Star was his next choice. After Star by Star, I want to do. I want to take a break and do um, Lost Stars. Okay, I think that's a that's a good place to to get to in the in NJO. We're doing another another book. Yeah. I think that works perfectly fine. Okay, so we got a book, a comic, two shows. And then back to the fucking chonkiest book, giving us like a four week lead time on the chonky chonky book. I think mm-hmm. that works out well. That's a good idea. All right. And we that brings us into the Denning verse as well. Mm. Spider-Man into the Denning verse. Mm-hmm. That'll be very epic. All right. So we're going to we're going to semi lock in on that. Then maybe Lost Stars. Uh, no, that it'd be November where we potentially have an in-person tap cast. Isn't that yeah. exciting? Yep. Yeah. 
It would be. That would be that would be very cash money. You want to say goodbye to all the nice people, Justin? Goodbye, nice people. I appreciate you. We'll be doing a burial cart probably in about fifteen minutes. If Corey Jean, are you gonna be able to, do you know? Yeah, you I'm to? just gonna see if Dana's still alive and if I have to do something for dinner before. Let's go. <laughs> all right, goodbye everybody.